Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. If it brings her to the same point that it brings you, it doesn't matter whether she called it God along the way or not. That understanding works for you, so therefore it is absolutely right for you. All beliefs have become only relatively true, and of course to the world, religion is just some personalized experience, not a divine revelation, and the church is catching the disease. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Oofta, that's right, I said oofta. What a nasty father. Story time. And it's an ugly one about a pastor. This is Wretched Radio. The sun was bright and shiny on a wondrously beautiful day. It seemed impossible that any pain could disrupt the splendor. Kids were running, adults were laughing, birds singing, and palm trees were swaying in the balmy Florida breeze. My neighbor's yard was jammed with kids and sprinkled with adults. I was standing amid a crush of activity when my daughter came skipping, literally skipping around the corner of the house. The moment our eyes met, a wide smile opened on her face and she started running toward me. She was moving quickly with a bright face. But my face was twisted and angry. I opened my eyes wide with fury and screamed in a harsh and scary voice, Chloe, stop! Turn around! Go away! She stopped, exchanging her bright smile for shocked fear. Apprehensive, she started to move toward me again. When in an act of angry repetition, I shouted, I mean it! Go away! I was not kidding, and she knew it. Tears filled her eyes as she obeyed, turned around, and walked away in painful and confused rejection. Nasty, Dad. Hold on, that, that father is the senior pastor? At First Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, what kind of a horrible man would do something so mean toward a child he presumably loves? May I ask you a question? Are you waiting for something? Are you hoping for better health? A different relationship? A particular person to come your way? Some sort of financial advancement, a vacation, a new car, a new house, a change of scenery, something you're waiting, you're growing weary, and maybe you're asking the question, why, Lord? Why the delay? Let's take a look at another story from the Bible. It's the story that no doubt you've heard more than once. Perhaps you've heard sermons on the story of the resurrection of Lazarus that featured the resurrection of power of Jesus. Amen to that. The simple faith of two women who are recorded in the pages of the Bible. Check. That's a perfectly nice sermon. But did you ever hear a presentation on the death of Lazarus that focused on the love 
of Jesus Christ in your waiting. Heath Lambert, the man who yelled at his daughter on a lovely Florida day. Do they have any other kind of days in Florida? Okay. He, may, he didn't mention the humidity, so not full disclosure in this book, which is called The Great Love of God. I was reading this on an airplane, believe it or not, from Florida <laughs> over the weekend in preparation for Bible study on Wednesday night. And I got to tell you something, Heath Lambert's handling of the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, it just doesn't get more pastoral than this. He's dealing with the question that chances are pretty good you either are, have, or certainly will ask, Lord, if you love me, why am I waiting? Why am I suffering? If God protects his people, then why do those he loves and promises to protect experience so much pain? And he turns our attention toward Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I have to confess to you, when I started reading it, I went, really, we're going to just answer the question. Huh? Huh? Get to a theodicy. Explain the issue of evil, which is all good. And we'll be doing that in Bible study, by the way. But I stayed along for the ride. And wow, the reward was amazing. Consider the excruciating experience of death for a moment. If you've ever sat at the bedside of a loved one who is dying, it's less than fun. You, 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 you watch somebody that you care for devolve, and, and, and you, you, you know what is imminent, and yet you, you, you want to somehow stall it. You don't want that to happen. So what do you do as time passes and life ebbs away from a loved one? You grieve. It's sad. As the individual grows sicker, your grief grows greater. And then there's the grief when you have to say your final goodbyes. Hold on. It gets compounded when the end actually happens. And you weep and you sob. You heave. No different for Martha and Mary. Put yourself in their shoes, and maybe you don't have to imagine very long what that is like because you have experienced the death of a loved one. Jesus finally shows up, and they ask a question. You say, they don't ask a question. They make a statement. Yeah, they make statements, but they're definitely questions. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. <laughs> you can hear the question. Where, where were you? What, what took you so long? They both ask the question. This is from Heath Lampert. There's an important lesson in this for us as we ask our own questions of God during pain and loss. In the throes of suffering, it's possible to ask the same questions from two very different perspectives. Martha and Mary knew Jesus. They loved him, wanted to trust him. And they couldn't understand why Jesus acted as he did. In their struggle, they went to their friend and asked him why. And you can do that too. Lord, why? Why is this happening? Help me to understand. Help me to get it. However, there were other people at this scene that were asking the same question. His enemies. They wanted to know why. Why, why, why would he be 
What? This is the great teacher, huh? Didn't even get the timing right, huh? That's not the way we want to approach God. When we question God, interrogate him, accuse him, we're acting like his enemies. But it's okay to ask questions as a friend. And then we get to the real reason that Jesus delayed, because he loved them. You say, wait, hold the phone, Henrietta. Jesus delayed because he loved him. That's what the text says. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, our sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. Wait, <laughs> what? Because Jesus loved them, he delayed. Heath Lambert writes, love does not always require urgency. Sometimes love requires delay. Are you waiting on the Lord? From the book, when we see that Jesus, lo- that Jesus loved Lazarus by delaying, we don't need to wonder at it. Instead, we should be excited about the good thing he is going to do to show his love and power through Lazarus's suffering. That excitement will pay off as we see that good thing Jesus had in mind for Lazarus and his family was beyond anything this grieving family could have dreamt. Don't know if you caught that first line. Because Jesus loved them, he delayed. (gasps) That should cause us to go, oh, what's he going to do? Because he loved them, he's going to do something good. And then, of course, we see the death of Lazarus, and we get distracted from the import of the story. This is a story about Jesus' love in delaying, in stalling, in not doing what people would have preferred that he had done. Just make him better, Lord. We know that you could do it. Make it better. But because he loved him, he he delayed. And then we know the story. Lazarus come out. And he did. We must pause here. This really is the low point. If you know nothing of this story, your familiarity might keep you from experiencing the moment the way the original audience did. Jesus, dripping with tardiness, stands among a grieving family and gives orders to open the grave, overwhelming them with the fresh smell of a rotting corpse. He screams into the tomb that the dead man should do something that dead men don't do and come out of the tomb. His behavior looks cruel, insensitive, untimely, inexplicable, even insane. And that is how the crowd would have received it. One wonders if you and I don't have the same response today. God promises good things to his children, and yet it doesn't happen in our timing. And maybe, just maybe, we've looked at him, questioning him like an enemy. Perhaps the rest of the story will change our perspective. Next on Wretched Radio. So you aren't convinced of the importance of training godly men to rightly divide the word of truth in churches 
internationally? Well, then we'll let Paul Washer convince you. You have to support men who are elder qualified proclaimers of the word. When we support a man coming out of TMAI, we know not only that he is properly trained, but we know that he will still be supervised. Would you please join TMAI, the Master's Academy International, in advancing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ through expository preaching in local churches around the globe. It's a magnificent ministry and it's so important. Please consider partnering with TMAI at wretched.org slash pastor, wretched.org slash pastor. Thank you for supporting indigenous pastors around the world. Hey, hey, well, October is here. That means pumpkin spice everything, everywhere you look. <laughs> Plus, that also means football season is in full swing. Oh, and of course, the Devil's Day is coming up. That's right, Halloween is coming up. And I don't have to tell you that Sugar Hype kids are going to be coming knocking on your door, whether you like it or not. So you better be prepared. We've got a way to help you send them soaring higher than any cavity-induced candy you could ever give them. I'm talking about giving them gospel booklets from Wretched. You can give them the treat of all treats this Halloween, the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't have to skip the candy if you don't want to. No, you don't have to. You can actually include it with the gospel booklets, but gospel booklets are on sale right now in the Wretched store as low as 99 cents per booklet. Now through the 25th. And you'll want to order by the 25th, so you'll have them in time for the Devil's Day. That's Halloween. Get them before they're gone at wretched.org. Sorry to ask you to do some math, but this is math that is going to make you very, very happy. Listen to this one testimony of a woman who chose life. When I found out I was pregnant, I felt like I was being pushed to get an abortion. My papa's exact words to me were, this isn't a birthing center, find somewhere else to go. And I came in and I met Melody and it was this instant connection. And I told her what I was going through. And it was kind of like having an instant friend and instant family. Take that one testimony and multiply it times 54,253. And what do you get? The number of babies that were saved because you have been supporting pre-born centers around the country. Would you please consider helping us grow that number by providing ultrasounds? $28 per ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life at preborn.org slash wretched. Important dates in Christian history. 1206. Francis of Assisi renounces wealth and goes on to lead a band of poor friars preaching the simple life. The 13th century saw the rise of a number of monastic orders dedicated to simple living and social engagement. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. What looked like cruelty was actually love. This is Wretched Radio, courtesy of one Dr. Heath Lambert, whose wonderful book, The Great Love of God, recounts the story of Lazarus dying, Jesus delaying because, quote, he loved them, which should cause us to be reading this story with anticipation. Because Jesus loved them, he timed his appearance. Ooh, what's he going to do? Well, he does something that could have been seen as a cruelty. He yelled 
into a tomb to a dead man to come out. Now, remember, these people are mourning, they're weeping, they're wailing, they're throwing dirt in the air, sackcloth, ashes. They're miserable. This man has been dead for four days. And Jesus yells, come out. How cruel. What's he doing? This is, this is a funeral we're attending here. Why would he say something so insensitive? But you and I know exactly why. Let me turn your attention to Heath Lambert's book, The Great Love of God. Seconds after Jesus cried out his astonishing command, death bowed in submission to its Lord and Master and broke its hold on the one it had engulfed in its clutches. In spite of themselves, Lazarus's dead ears heard the voice of their Lord and King, Lazarus's lifeless corpse obeyed the master of the universe and rose from the slab despite the instincts of every dead body in history. The tragedy was reversed. Lazarus walked out of the tomb. Can you imagine the gasps, the screams, the shocked looks, the dropped jaws? Can your mind envision the overwhelming wonder as the smell of death vanished and a living Lazarus filled their gaze? Some may have fainted from shock. Others would have dropped to their knees, overcome by the glorious display of power and love. This astonishing moment was the one Jesus had in mind when his love delayed. It was this moment of joy and glory he was planning the entire time. Jesus' plan was so much better than what the family desired. They couldn't see it, but Jesus knew what he was going to do more than reverse an illness. He was going to reverse the irreversible. He was going to do the absolute impossible. He was going to reverse death. How do you think Mary and Martha felt in that moment? When grief was reversed and converted into profound joy, and rejoicing years later, they would still be tossing their heads back in laughter and astonishment that Lazarus' life had been restored after it ended. For the rest of their lives, they would have told the story of the overwhelming display of love and glory that they had experienced in the hour of deepest darkest darkness. And now these siblings have lived in heaven with Jesus for over 2,000 years. Now, this is certainly a debatable theology, but I think we get the point and can grant the liberty. They've seen their story used millions of times throughout history to encourage others in pain, to grant faith, to strengthen hope, and to change lives as their story of pain leads to grace for more and more people. It happens to people every time the glory of Jesus is recounted in their story of pain. A pain that was excruciating, but worth it. And what was true for them is true for you. Are you wondering where the Lord is? What, what's he waiting for? And the answer is to show you love. And you say, I don't think this is ever going to get sorted. I'm waiting for good health, but I'm deteriorating day by day. Mm -hmm. And he is going to make your body glorified forever. Delaying it, 
the good health, perhaps until you pass through the door of death. But he's going to do it. And the question then becomes, will I trust him and his timing? Or will I insist on my own? Who knows better for you? This is, this is why understanding that because Jesus loved them, because Jesus loved you, his timing, it is indeed impeccable. We want it. it, it, it's, it we, 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 we really think it would be better to be pain-free, to have more money, to have a best friend, to go on that trip. But Jesus knows better, and we learn that from the story of Mary and Martha. Now, is it possible that you won't see something on this side of the doorway that is as spectacular as the experience that Mary and Martha had? Perhaps. But here's what Heath Lambert writes. As hard as it will all be, I want to make you a promise that comes from the Bible. The hose whom God loves. The promise comes from Jesus Christ, who promised his with his own mouth that everyone who lives and believes in him shall never die. Here's the promise. Your losses will never last. They will always give way to infinite gain. Isn't that why James can write, count it all joy, brothers? We, th- we think of suffering as loss. The Bible says we actually gain something that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's what Peter promises to those who are suffering. It tests the genuineness of our faith. It provides rewards when we endure suffering with an attitude that isn't accusatory like the enemies of Jesus Christ. In a world, writes Heath, Where everything we have is the gift of a loving giver, there is only one way to know whether we love and trust God or the gifts God gives. The only way is for God to take away some of his gifts. When he takes away his gifts and we curse him, we know it was never him that we loved. But when God takes away his good gifts and we still love him, we know our faith is genuine and that we have life with him forever. And so sometimes he takes away gifts so that we can know that we actually love him. Do you remember how the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead began? It wasn't from 2,000 years ago. It was from just a couple of years ago. In Florida, do you recall? It was a gorgeous sunny day. Heath Lambert's daughter playing in the backyard with a bunch of kids comes running toward him and he screams at them. Back to our book. That day, as she ran toward me in my neighbor's yard, I made her cry with a stern rebuke and a face filled with anger and urgency. She was running at me with great joy and the full expectation I would receive her in my loving embrace. Instead, I screamed loudly and aggressively for her to go away. Her heart was broken by my harshness. And you are probably concerned. Why would a loving father behave with such cruelty? What my daughter did not see and what I did not share with you, writes Heath Lambert, is that there was a very large water moccasin jumping and hissing in the grass between me and my daughter. This deadly poisonous snake 
had only one path of escape directly toward my daughter with no time to explain and knowing she might not recognize the danger of this vicious snake, I shouted at her to go away. Seconds after she cleared the scene, my friend tossed me a shovel and he disposed of the snake. I knew what she didn't. That if my daughter had come just a few feet closer, she would have been bitten and killed. My harsh behavior that day was motivated by love. Even though my little girl could not immediately see it. Once she understood, she was actually grateful for the tough love that I had shown her in that moment. And if we only understood all that he did on our behalf and for our good, we would never question his heart. We would never ask why, like an enemy. Jesus wept at the death of his friend. Does he enjoy your suffering? Nope. Does he take delight in it? No, of course not. Jesus wept, but he's also working in it to do something better than we ever imagined for ourselves. And if you're waiting, longing, perhaps growing weary, please forget the story about Heath Lambert and his daughter, perhaps, but remember the story of Mary and Martha and Lazarus that Jesus delayed because he loved them and you have his promise. He's doing something better in your delayed gratification, in your painful suffering, your longing and your languishing than you and I would ever imagine for ourselves. What are you waiting for? This is Wretched Radio. And it's now time for a Wretched News Break here on Wretched Radio. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, folks, the war on the preborn continues all over the world, but especially in California, where, uh, well, the Attorney General has put pro-life pregnancy centers on notice that they're no longer allowed to help women reverse the effects of the abortion pill. Even though there are studies that show these treatments save over 60% of babies targeted for abortion, California says, nope, that's too risky for women. You know, I don't ever remember there being a report released that said um, abortion pills were classified as low risk for the hundreds of thousands of children that they kill each year. (laughs) But I guess only one side matters to some people, right? Also in the state of California, Governor Gavin Newsom just signed a law that would raise the minimum wage for fast food workers to $20 per hour. Now, we all know who's going to pay for that. $25 Big Mac combo, anyone? Yeah, I think that's coming to California pretty soon. And sadly, censorship has also continued to spread. A detransitioner named Chloe Cole had her upcoming event canceled by Eventbrite. All she wanted to do, she said, was share her story of regret over the permanent damage done to her body through transgender therapies and hormones she started taking at the age of 13. Apparently, as we've learned the truth, well, it's a little bit too dangerous for some to handle, especially the message that Cole wants to share because there's parents across this country that need to hear it. On switching topics, over 50 worshipers were killed in a horrific terror attack last week in Pakistan. 
The bombing took place during a celebration for the Prophet Muhammad's birthday. Oh, how apropos. An initial suicide bomber struck right as hundreds of people were starting a procession and uh, then amidst the chaos, a second bomber entered and collapsed the building and detonated himself while people were still trapped inside. As we tell you so frequently here at Wretched, please make sure that you pray for all of our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the world. Finally, a bit closer to home, a concerning trend has emerged in Canada. Over the last few years, hundreds of teen girls have undergone elective double mastectomies to remove their healthy breasts. Why would they do this? Well, because they identify as male and are able to access the destructive surgeries at younger and younger ages. One of the girls in the article started testosterone treatments at just the age of 13 and had the surgery just two years later. Now, yeah, as you might imagine, she deeply, deeply regrets it. Folks, when are we going to wake up and realize that children cannot make life-altering decisions like this? They do not possess the capacity that it requires to think these things through. They need the guidance and the protection of adults, not blind affirmation. Not only is this medical malpractice, this is deeply criminal. And that's been today's Wretched News Break. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible The book of Daniel is about one man who submits to God above all else and God's faithfulness to his people in all circumstances. Daniel's prophetic visions teach us that God raises up and tears down kingdoms. All earthly kingdoms will pass away, but God will establish an everlasting kingdom. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Lessons from... An assisted living facility. Wow, that was a tongue twister right there. This is Wretched Radio. What we used to call nursing homes are now called assisted living facilities. And I think we've made some advancements in the care of those who can't fully take care of themselves by having degrees of assistance. Now you begin with needing very little help, support, perhaps just somebody to check in on you, make sure that you're okay, taking your meds. But then it can graduate to a higher degree of care and then ultimately a great deal of care as your health begins to vanish and you need a lot of care. We call them assisted living facilities, although this emailer would call them an old folks home. (laughs) But we used to call them a long time ago, you know, back when we were insensitive and such. Although... Are there old folks there? Yes. Yeah. Is it trying to be a home? Is that where they live? (laughs) Yep. Sure is. Todd, I remember a couple of years ago, you said you went to an old folks home and preached on regret. Indeed, because we all have a few. Would you mind sending me your sermon notes? Yes, I would, because I have no idea where they are. The email continues. I have a couple of regrets and I don't know what to do with them. Does that resonate with you, perhaps? I made sinful mistakes, and these are the kind which cannot be corrected. I've made other decisions which are not sinful, but looking back, I wish I had made other decisions. Jimmy, are you thinking of anything that might be helpful for this fellow at this particular time on the Transform podcast with Dr. Greg Gifford? Why, yes, I am. That's exact. This is exactly what he's... Dude, your question, your regrets... 
your shame, sinful, non-sinful. That is exactly what Dr. Gifford is talking about in his Transform podcast. I commend it to you. Also, if this is an issue for you, Steve Vier, V-I-A-R, Steve Vier's book, Putting Your Past in Its Place. Super helpful book. You can find that at wretched.org. I know God is sovereign, but I don't know how to let go of wishing things were different. I thought maybe your sermon would be helpful. Sorry, I can't find those notes, but I do remember the impetus of the sermon. And that is, it's actually not good to forget your sins. You say, that's exactly, I don't want to, I don't want to think about them. They haunt me. They're they're not going to go away. You're not going to forget either now or for eternity. You need to start framing and processing your history, your sinful past, the way that you're going to be processing it in heaven. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, there shouldn't be a difference because we should be doing here what we're going to be doing there. But there we're just going to be doing it perfectly because we're going to get the point of all of this stuff. But that doesn't mean we can't begin to grasp it here. I believe the text that I spoke on at that old folks home was about God dropping our sins into the sea of forgetfulness. Does that mean that he literally forgets? And the answer is no, it's colorful language to tell us he doesn't keep fishing and bringing these things up and throwing them back into your sinking boat. Yeah, see, see, look, there you go again. Remember back in December when you did that? God never does that. Does that mean he forgets them? He can't. He's omniscient. He doesn't forget them. So now we're left to ask the question, how can I remember my sins but not feel so miserable because of those sins? And the answer is, get ready, here it comes, cliche, but it's the correct biblical answer, the cross. If if you and I forget our sins, if, if you've perhaps thought, oh good, in heaven, I, I, not only will I not be sinning, I'm not going to remember all those sins. Well, I don't know where the Bible says that you're going to get a brain swipe, that you are going to have some sort of etch-a-sketch. <laughs> all your memories are gone. They're not. You're simply going to know the greatness of the goodness of God in Christ as you remember those sins. He died for that too. What a Savior. That's how you're going to be remembering your sins in heaven, not with remorse and regret and, oh, I could just kick myself. Oh, I just hate myself. Oh, I'm such a loser of a human being. Wrong, 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 and wrong. Don't process it that way. Turn your eyes outward. What a savior. Wow, I did that and he forgave me. Oh, and I did that and he forgave me. Oh, I did that. He forgave me of that too. You're not going to ever forget your sins. Now, you don't want to regurgitate them on an hourly basis. But when they come up, when they come into your mind, then don't don't just try to block them out. Instead, use them. Let them be the impetus for thinking about what your Savior did for you. And then you will grow in your love for him. And those past sins will be put into the right container Put onto a shelf and anybody pulls them out or you something triggers it and you remember your sins, remember your Savior. That's what that sermon was about. Sorry I didn't have the notes, but Greg Gifford is just 
killing it. At Transform by Dr. Greg Gifford, Stephen Byers, putting your past in its place. I was just in a nursing home over the weekend. And I have to tell you, it's been a bit. I spent a fair amount of time in a nursing home when I was a kid, probably 12-ish when my grandmother was in a nursing home. But just bop in and bop out, not very aware. Yeah, you know, you, you see, you smell, you remember those things. But I'd be in and out, short visits, and then skedaddle off to my next banal activity. But not this weekend. I was kind of there a lot, like all day and night. And you get a little immersed in it, and you can't help but think about what Solomon said. It is better to spend a day in the house of mourning than in the house of rejoicing. Because you look around, and death is certainly visible. It's, it's why a lot of those people are there. Because they've reached the end, whatever their life story is, whatever their familial relationships are, they're in a place where people are taking care of them. And by the way, if you're one of those people, seriously, you're amazing. I, would, I wouldn't misuse the term hero as we're so wont to do these days. That's a, that's a big marketing theme. Have you seen that lately? You're a hero. You're just, you're just a hero because of, what you, because of who you are. It's really overused and I think diminishes the heroism as we've <laughs> classically understood it. But that doesn't diminish what you do if you serve in an assisted living facility. The needs are so profound and people are so lonely. They Okay, I saw what All right, I was there for 2 3 days. I saw one one wife. Now, there may have been more, but I didn't see them. And there were other wings, so maybe there were other visitors. I saw one, the wife. She came for about an hour, and then she too left. She's carrying on with her life also. But these people are alone. And I couldn't help but appreciate the people who serve them lovingly. They are all tend to be way understaffed. And it's not a surprise these days. The chores that they have to do, oof. They, they, deal, they deal with humanity in its underbelly in really challenging ways. And yet they do it. They plod on. And then they keep loving these people. And I couldn't help but wonder, hmm, how wise might it be for us to maybe just maybe... Give assisted living facilities a second glance as ministry opportunities, one for our kids. This is a hard lesson. This, this, this is why you do well at a young age to think about death. But it's hard, isn't it? Because, well, it's just so distant, you presume. Maybe it would be good for teenagers to spend some time forcing them to serve in a nursing home. It would do them a would. And maybe, just maybe, if there happens to be an assisted living facility, a.k.a. nursing home, formerly known as an old folks home, near your church, wow, 
fields are white, harvest waiting. And these people would love it if you would come and visit. If you're one of those people and you're one of those churches, bravo, well done. But if not, this might be a ministry opportunity for you. Or you could go and just sit at people's bedsides. Hey, are you a Christian? I'll read the Bible to you. They would love it. They would love it. They, they, they will look to their door waiting for you to show up again. And this would be a place where people are indeed thinking about death. Now, they're steeped and they're perhaps cemented into their godless worldview from decades of atheism or agnosticism. But wow, what an opportunity to preach the gospel to people who would love for you to share it. Just a thought. This is Wretched Radio. So there you are on your Googler machine trying to find a restaurant. What do you look for? Ratings and reviews. If it gets lots of stars, positive reviews, chances are pretty good you're going to go there. Question, would you be inclined to go to a restaurant that had a 98% approval rating and rave reviews? I suspect you would. MetaShare, Affordable Biblical Health Sharing, has a 98% approval rating. 400,000 members strong, sharing one another's health care bills, saving billions of dollars over the years, saving families on average $500 a month. And 98% of the members of MediShare give it a hearty thumbs up. I encourage you to call them and see if MediShare is right for you and your family. 1-844-34-BIBLE. 1-844-34-BIBLE for MediShare. Hey, hey, thank you so much for listening to Wretched Radio today, you handsome devil, you. Now, look, we rely on you. We rely on partners just like you to keep this circus on the air, reaching all of our tens and tens of listeners with the life-changing gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And many of you have already blessed us by purchasing resources from our Wretched store, and we are so grateful for that. But I humbly ask if you could consider becoming an ongoing monthly gospel partner. As a nonprofit ministry, you can be assured that we steward every single dollar you give faithfully. No problem. Private jets. Your gifts go directly toward our mission of preaching the gospel, equipping others to preaching the gospel, and strengthening the local church. Together, we can save souls for eternity, even if we have to drag them kicking and screaming. Learn more about what it could look like in your life to become an ongoing monthly Wretched Gospel partner by visiting wretched.org slash donate. Or you can text the word Wretched to the number 44321. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. Ah, some good news. Two encouragements from the Tomorrow Clubs. They have hundreds of weekly kids meeting clubs in Eastern Europe, but now they've expanded to Africa and the kids are swarming the Tomorrow Clubs. They have never seen greater attendance than the hundreds of new clubs that they are opening up in Africa. That should encourage all of us. The gospel is going forth and reaching kids in unreached places. Encouragement number two, would you like to become a Tomorrow Clubs ministry partner? 
Your support will help the Tomorrow Clubs open up even more Tomorrow Clubs and reach even more kids with the gospel. Please consider becoming a ministry partner at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Mexican. Pneumatology is a study of the Holy Spirit. Scripture reveals that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force or manifestation, and He is God, the third member of the Trinity. His work is not to provide emotional highs or show up in glory clouds or gold dust. The work of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to the Savior, Jesus Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. How are the kids feeling these days? Perhaps we can learn something from Billie Eilish. I used to float, now I just fall down. I used to know, but I'm not sure now what I was made for. Ouch, that hurts. This is Wretched Radio. Uh, What was she made for is the question of one young woman's heart. Why am I here? How do I get through this loneliness? That is the name of the tune by one Billie Eilish that was pointed out to me from an individual who sent me an email sent to idea at wretched.org. Hi, Mr. Friel and Jimmy. I asked a 10-year-old young lady I'm counseling to send me the title and artist of a song that is particularly meaningful to her right now. That's an interesting experiment, isn't it? Because people do find their voice in a song. Oh, that's me. I can put myself right into that singer's shoes. And maybe just maybe by using that mm, question, you can get some unexpected answers. She sent me Billie Eilish's song, What Was I Made For? I just about wept through the whole thing, thinking about how a 10-year-old can identify with this song. It's sad that a young woman could write a song like this. And are people relating to it? They certainly are. Here are the lyrics, just in case you're not familiar with it. Taking a drive. I was an ideal, looked so alive. Turns out I'm not real. Just something you paid for. What was I made for? Because I don't know how to feel. But I want to try. I don't know how to feel. But someday I might. Someday I might. Because I, cause I, I don't know how to feel. I want to try. I don't know how to feel. But someday I might. Think I forgot how to be happy. Something I'm not, but something I can be. Something I wait for. Something I'm made for. Something I'm made for. Heavy? Yeah. But it seems to be resonating with 61 million people who have actually watched this particular video. 61 million views. And there are thousands of comments. 58,000 comments. Let me share a couple of them. And you don't have to search very far for these. Every time I listen to this song, it just hits home. 
I feel like everyone has felt this at some point, not knowing who you are anymore or who you become. It's such a heart-wrenching interpretation, this overwhelming moment of helplessness and wanting to push through or find some sense of comfort in the sadness. Yikes. Sometimes we have to fall apart before we can become whole again. Mm. This is so calming on the outside, yet so loud on the inside. For someone that's struggling, another one, for someone that's struggling with identity crisis at the moment, I don't know how to be thankful enough to you for this song, Billy. It's like a blessing from heaven, really. This song came out the day I turned 18. The amount of this gives to people, myself included, makes me happy. Thank you, Billy. On. And on it goes. If I'm being completely honest, writes another, I feel like this song is my life. I feel so stressed to live up to everyone's high expectations, which I never even asked to be brought into this world. The moment I try to tell them how I feel, they always find some way to tell me I'm wrong, and it hurts a lot. I don't know if I just can't handle the truth, or if they just aren't listening to me when I truly need them to. That's why I'm so scared to tell anyone what's wrong with me when I'm going through something because I think they're going to just shut me down. There's a lot of lessons in these comments for youth pastors and for parents, isn't there? It seems these days, due to a number of societal factors, pressures from the outside world that have intensified due to the courtesy of social media, Kids are increasingly miserable. They aren't part of communities. They aren't part of social activities. We don't have anything in our world that brings us together anymore. I'm not talking about religion. I'm just talking about a society. Even in the Soviet Union, they realize people have to have a flagpole. In the Soviet Union, historically, it was sports. That's why their Olympic teams were so amazing. They had to have something or someone to cheer for, somebody that they could all get behind, something that gave them a reason to say, yes, where I live is a good place and this is a good thing. Those things are gone these days for kids, and it's been replaced by something different. Activities gone. I was just reading an article it was uh, okay. It was I. It was based on a, an individual, a woman in Great Britain, who claims to have spoken to ten thousand, all the way from grade school all the way up through high school, traveling around talking to them about the internet, and the word that kept coming up. You know what word it is? The p word, pornography. And that kids as young as six are being exposed to it. By the way, Billie Eilish, she was exposed to it. She laments how she was saw so much pornography. I believe she says at the age of 12. And how has that left her feeling now that we are living the life that the sexual revolution promised? She's miserable. So unhappy about it. And she, she's, she's putting her sentiments into song and people are going, yep, that's me. 
this article was talking about these kids, how the interactions. And then there was, I, I don't know if it was the same article or another one. I guess it doesn't matter because I'm giving no attribution anyway about how da- people, guys have just given up on dating. That they feel like I'm just a loser. I'm just a loser. I can't compete. And this particular article, it was fascinating because I've never been to a dating app. But this, they were talking about how demoralizing it can be for young men. And, and when I heard this months or maybe years ago, I thought, eh, I don't really get it. But then I read what some of the women post. If you make less than like $100,000, don't bother. If you don't look, if you're ugly, I'm busy. Next. Wow. Wow. So you can be a decent fellow, but perhaps very suitable marriage material, but because you don't make X amount of dollars or you're not a particular height, there was another one. If you're not this tall, forget about it. Not interested. Whoa. And the effects of that are captured with Billy. What was I made for? What is the point of all of this? I am miserable in all of this. The lyrics indicate that she is catching the zeitgeist. And a youth pastor who ignores this and continues to play whipped cream games. And hey, hey, everybody, just come on. We're just going to do this really quick. Hey, come. It's going to be a really great time. Might I suggest a different marketing tactic for you? Hey, We're going to talk about issues. We're going to talk about loneliness. We're going to talk about hopelessness. Can you relate? Come to youth group. We're going to be discussing these things. Uh, That's what these kids not only need, but this is what they want. They want deeper conversations. They want more. And I have to tell you something. If you are a youth pastor and you're endeavoring to help younger people, Please don't grow weary because we parents, we actually do need you because the kids, they're reticent. I say reticent to discuss their inner feelings with parents. That's that's classic. And so if you can be one who is proverbially able to get down deep into the heart and discover and pull up what's going on in there. Oh, you could be so helpful. Please, please be done with the silliness. It, it, it's fascinating to me that in a market-driven evangelical world that we've been inhabiting now for decades, very few, if any, maybe you can send me an email and correct me, but very few youth groups are actually marketing themselves to deal with profound issues of loneliness, hopelessness, identity crises. Do we have anything we can help these kids with? Yeah. Having a new identity, having a transcendent identity, having a transnational identity. Do we have anything we can offer these kids? We most certainly do enough with the froth and the frivolity. And the fun, there, I alliterated it, just in case you need everything alliterated. Please, youth pastor, Billie Eilish might not be coming to your youth group, but her followers are. Until tomorrow, go serve your king. <laughs>